Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all Money You Should Ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code MYSA, all caps, 25 and start your course to financial freedom now. Thanks again to our sponsor. Today's guest is Jamie Griffin, and I'm excited to have you here today all the way from Minnesota, if I got that right. Yep. Jamie uh, has a blog called Mr. Jamie Griffin, and Jamie is a school teacher, as is his wife, and he's got this blog that he's written that's, it's, um, that he writes that's a resource for people to learn how to budget, save, and become debt-free. And he shares his own journey, and I'm excited to hear about him because he started off with uh, into the marriage uh, about a hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt, and 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 paid that down. And he talks about his journey, and we love talking about money and our money journeys. So I'm excited to hear all about that. And um, you're married. Do you have kids? Yeah, um, we've got a two, like a two and a quarter year old. Two and a quarter year old. Um, all right. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Just, just getting started. It'll accumulate. It'll, that's great. Oh yeah. Um, so Jamie, I, um, thanks for, thanks for coming in. And so I'm fascinated. So my first question is you started your first budget when you, uh, in 2013, the year before you got married. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I got married in 2014. And so somewhere along the summer of 2013, um, I remember having a conversation with her and, um, we actually, um, going back even before we were dating, we had a conversation about, you know, the people we wanted to be when we were married. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I remember wanting to be when I was married is a husband who knows how to handle money nice. and knows how to like budget responsibly and do those things. Yeah. And at the time I had no clue how to do that. So I kind of like, Oh, this is a good point to start figuring that out because you know, I'm in my mid twenties and I should probably get a handle on that. So I know how to do it when I finally start dating somebody and get married. And where did that uh, value? How did you come to that decision that this would be a good thing if I'm married? It would be good for me to be a good dad and a husband if I know how to handle finances. Like, where did you get that value? Um, you know, it's hard to say like where exactly I got it, but one thing I do remember is um, growing up, my dad. I remember him balancing the checkbook. Um, you have his calculator out and, you know, back when you actually had to balance your checkbook. Right. And, um, I was just talking about it to him recently and he said like, he would measure that thing down to the penny and if he got one penny off, he would redo it. So I just remember my dad always doing the checkbook and balancing it. Um, and so I think it just kind of as like a future dad and a future husband, I uh, wanted to embody that as much as I could as well. And I think partially because I didn't have that skill at that time. Mm-hmm. 
Did your father seem stressed about it when he did it? Like, was it a, oh my God, I got to do the budget and I got to write the checks or, oh, it's just one of the things that I do as a dad. I think he was stressed about it um, because uh, my mom and dad were the classic, like uh, my dad wanted to know where all the money was going and coming in. And my mom's like, oh, oh let's go spend this money. Oh, by the, like, you know, talking to uh, my dad as an adult now, like he's telling me these stories like, yeah, I would be doing this. And then your mom would go spend, you know, $300 on, you know, X, Y, Z. And like, I'd be like, we don't have money for that. What are you doing? And so it's interesting hearing that back now because at the time I didn't really have a sense of it because when my mom spent that money, it was usually on things that I wanted and I was, and I was happy about that. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> did you, were you aware of any money conflicts as a kid? Like, did you see any kind of, Oh gosh, when mom and dad talk money, it's bad and we should go upstairs or, uh, Oh, it's a, it's a conversation. Do you remember anything as a kid? Um, I don't ever remember my mom and dad talking about money a ton, honestly. Um, so, but I knew that if I wanted something and was looking to get something, I would go ask my mom because she's more likely to say yes and, um, spend that money. Yeah. Um, versus my dad who like looking back, it's clear to see that he had more of the, um, handle on doing the finances in their marriage. Um, and I know that they were stressed and like at times like argued about money, but Mm -hmm. I don't, nothing like stands out as being really vivid about Mm -hmm. that. Did you get an allowance? No, my sister and I really tried for an allowance though. (laughs) Um, And we tried the, hey, if we get good grades, can we get some money? Um, And I remember making an allowance chart or a chore chart, but we never really stuck through to it. Or I should say I didn't. My sister was probably really good at it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, we didn't get much in the way of an allowance when I was growing up either. Okay. And when you asked your mom for stuff, did she ever say to you, well, if we do that, then you're not going to be able to have this or would she just say, yeah, whatever you want, honey. Like did, was there a conversation? No. Um, I don't think so. I think it was either a, a yes or no, like, yeah, sure. Or no, we can't afford that. Okay. I remember the, we can't afford that. Yeah. Bit of it. Do you remember, um, the first time you got a large amount of money or what seemed like a large amount of money? Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Can you – do you remember the first time that you got a, what seemed like a large amount of money like as a kid? Do you remember ever, oh my goodness, or realizing that like, hey, money is a pretty cool thing? Yeah. Um, every year, um, our grandpa would give us um, like a check with, uh, for $100 for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I always remember being like, $100, holy cow, like that's a lot of money because – we, like you said, we didn't really have chores and didn't really earn an allowance. So just having a hundred dollars put in my hand was something I did look forward to every year. Yeah. And did all your grandparents give you a hundred dollars or just your grandfather? Um, just my grandfather. And did you like him yeah. more than the other grandparents because he gave you that? Um, I don't think necessarily. I think I was, um, closer to my grandpa than my, that particular grandpa than my other grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, looking back, I don't know why. I don't know if it was because of that. Um, but I, like I said, I remember looking forward to that every year and being excited about it. But then I didn't ever like have anything that I wanted to spend it on. Like I'm right. a natural saver, right? And like I'd rather like hang on to it and like the I don't know it was the, the fear of missing out on like the next thing that I could get if I spent it now. Yeah. What's the big pleasure in saving for you? 
Um, I think right now uh, the big pleasure in saving is knowing what we're saving for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily have a vision of the thing that I wanted to use this money for. Um, but now, you know, after budgeting and being really intentional with our money for the last seven years, um, like out the top of my head, I know that we are saving for, you know, vacations and we are saving um, for like home improvement things. My wife has just started grad school, so we're saving for that. Mm-hmm. And so knowing what we're saving for and the end goal of like achieving that, um, there's a lot of value in that. And that keeps helps keep me like my compass pointed towards that mm-hmm. um, versus like, oh, we can just go spend some money over here. Like it's the value that's associated with that money. And where would I rather see that value? Yeah. Awesome. And you, you, you created Mr. Jamie Griffin. Uh, mm-hmm. Why do you want to tell people about saving and budgeting and living debt free? Like why? Um, I think it's that classic. Like if we can figure it out, like me, like knowing nothing about budgeting and finances that a lot of people, other people could do that as well. And maybe just need like that push in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like kind of through our journey, just view money more and more as a tool. Yeah. Um, and money is a tool to use for the things that we want to use it for. And the more effectively and efficiently and intentionally we can use that tool, um, I think the better we are towards creating something that we really want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got friends that are woodworkers and they've told me that it doesn't necessarily matter what tool you have, but it's how you use that tool. Right. Um, and the creative ways you do that. And I view money in that same way when we're intentional with our money and make a plan with it. Um, we can get a lot of really good things out of it. And they're the things that we want, the things that we really care for, um, like deep down. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important for me to like share this journey that we've had with other people and to try to help them see what those big picture things are in their lives that I think can create that radical change of behavior and budgeting. Well, you, you say, uh, you say, you use an important word intentional. Uh, I'm a big believer in intentionality and intentional living, uh, I absolutely believe that when you make intentional choices around your money, that it's much more deeply gratifying and satisfying because you're actually doing something that you wanted to versus, oh, look, we just got to take a trip or like just letting things happen. Um, It's great to be spontaneous in the moment and there's something about intentional living of, of actually living it to the fullest. And, and getting every dr- – like for me, I want to get my money's worth. So uh, I want to be completely gratified. And so uh, intentional choice uh, is for me is something that's really important. So I, I love that you touch on that. Uh, so you had $100,000 worth of um, debt, um, right? That in, and was that all student loan? Most of it. Most um, of it. About- yeah, about 90000 was student loans. Okay. And when you took out those student loans and you became teachers, was part of your strategy – and I don't know if this is true for you, so it, it might not even be. But a lot of people, if if you are a teacher or you're a psychotherapist in the government, if you take certain jobs, you can get some of the debt forgiven. Um, and I don't know if you were able to get some of the debt forgiven by being teachers and if that was intentional or you just paid it all off? Um, no. Um, we did qualify for some loan forgiveness. And awesome. We, d- we didn't know that going into like, you know, signing on the dotted line for all these loans. 
But after we graduated college, um, through the exit counseling of our university, um, I knew that I qualified for loan forgiveness and so did my wife. Um, but because she teaches science, she qualifies for a much higher dollar amount to be forgiven than I do teaching history. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't think, or I, I didn't think about that. But one of my loans, I qualified for $5,000 uh, worth of forgiveness. And my wife, it was 17500 Wow. Um, so for us, we took advantage of that 17500 loan forgiveness. Um, she had to teach in a low-income school district for five years. Right. And I had the same stipulation, but it was actually faster for us just to pay mine off than wait around for the forgiveness. Right. Well, I think that's awesome. And let me ask you this, because teachers at the moment, I think we can say fairly, don't make the largest amounts of money. Um, and there's probably a lot of people right now through the pandemic that would be happy to pay teachers a couple hundred thousand dollars to take their kids back. Um, <laughs> but knowing that you're going into a career that's not going to pay you millions of dollars, um, at least from the actual job, uh, why did you both choose to go into teaching? Um, I think we both have just a love for like helping kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was going through school, like the most influential people in my life um, were coaches I had, teachers I had, and most of the coaches I had were also teachers. And like, if I can like think back and have that like really fond memories of those teachers and that they like kind of like almost like put a stamp on me of their mark, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. coming up, like how cool would it be to be able to impact a lot of young kids in an age when they're really impactful and need good role models. Um, it, it was a really appealing thing. And um, I think I just have a love for helping people in general. And so I think that really appealed to me for sure. And um, I would say my wife um, has that, a big appeal in that as well. Did you know you wanted, when did you know you wanted to be a teacher? Like five years old, college, um, so a couple of things stand out on this. Um, first up, when I was in fifth grade, we had to do a career report, um, exploration, and they wouldn't let me do it on being a professional basketball player. Um, <laughs> and so I had to choose something else. So I chose teacher. Um, and I can't, to this day, I can't tell you why I chose teacher, but I did a report on it. Um, and then in high school, we had to, you know, start going down a career path or like looking, you know, at majors for college. And I was pretty set on accounting. <laughs> um, my uncle was an accountant and I think, uh, one of my aunts worked in accounting in some degree and I'm like, they seem to be doing well for themselves. Like yeah. I would enjoy the life that they're living. I'm good with numbers. I enjoy doing accounting stuff. Let's do that. And then it was my fre- sophomore year in college. I hadn't even taken an accounting class yet. Um, and I decided to scrap that whole plan of accounting and jump into teaching. Um, I had to do some volunteer work mm-hmm. through, one of my classes and I worked in an after school program with kids and I knew I wanted to be a coach of some kind. And I felt like it was just a really good natural fit. Awesome. Did your parents encourage you to go into any particular fields when you were younger? Did they want you to be a doctor or an astronaut or what, or were they just follow your path? What was, what kind of support system do you have and what kind of encouragement did you get as a kid? Um, I think my parents were just really encouraging of whatever I chose to do. Um, I, I never felt like a strong push to do a certain thing. I didn't even feel a strong push to go to college. That was just something that I think 
from as long as I could, early as I can remember, I just knew that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Like college was just in my future and I knew I was going to do that. Um, and when my parents found out I was going into teaching, they were supportive of that. Like, cool. And I think they felt like it fit who I am also. Um, so no, I never felt like a push one way or the other, or even, um, you know, I've had some friends where their parents really did want them to go into a specific field. And when they didn't or didn't want to, like they had some, you know, pushback from their parents. Right. And I just feel really fortunate that my, both my mom and dad are, have been supportive of really whatever I choose to do. And I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Now as an adult and as a husband and as a dad, even though you may not be having full long conversations with your uh, two and a quarter kid. Um, <laughs> are there voices of your parents that come into your conversation that you now parrot or, or have come to see as truth that you picked up in childhood? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think like since I started like budgeting and learning how to do that and then like, my wife and I talk about money a lot. That was one of the core things that when we started dating that we wanted to talk about, like we had a big long conversation about our debt, our philosophies with money, what we wanted to do with money in the future and how we could do that together. And so I think through all of the talking we've done since we started dating and through our marriage, we have kind of created our own like thoughts on money and how we want to use it and the things that we want to teach Mm -hmm. our daughter yeah. Um, and some of that does come at probably from our backgrounds and our own experiences growing up, but we're trying as much as we can to like pass on like our beliefs about money to our daughter and mm-hmm. what that looks like, like carried out every day. Yeah. Now, did you run a credit check on your wife before you got married? Did you <laughs> like run a background check to make sure there wasn't any extra debt or anything like that? Or <laughs> no. Um, and honestly, um, she was really forthcoming with it. Like I said, we, we'd actually been really good and best friends for like four years before we started dating. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the classic case of everybody else knew that we were going to start dating before we did. Right. Um, and then so once we did, we knew it was either going to be, uh, we we're going to get married or we were not going to be friends again. Like, right. One it, or the it, other. it couldn't be both. Right. Right. And so early on, we knew, knew pretty early on. And then we decided to have this conversation and I said, Hey, I have $45,000 worth of debt. I don't make a lot of money. And she had a pretty equal amount of debt. And so we talked about it and knew that we were teachers and not going to make a lot of money and um, really wanted to work hard to improve and get out of debt uh, together. Yeah. So we we didn't do a background check, but we kind of brought everything to the table before um, we did get married or even engaged. Well, I think it's awesome that you have the conversation about money. Um, I've had this happen with a few clients, but I had a client in particular. Uh, they got married, so excited. They got married, mm-hmm. my client, like, and they had a big reef. They hadn't filed a couple of years of tax returns, and they filed mm-hmm. them, and they were going to get these big refunds, and then they didn't show up. And so they're like, Bob, something happened. You made a mistake. We, we're supposed to get like $15,000. And I called the IRS and they said, oh, well, his wife has $100,000 worth of student loan debt. And she hasn't paid out in a while. We're going to be taking these refunds until that's paid off. Well, turns out she also had about $50,000 worth of credit card debt and a significant amount of debt that she had forgot to mention going into the marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, I asked my client with his wife not present, um, you know, are you pissed? 
like, is this, are you, what's going to happen? And he said, I married for better or worse. And I know she was just ashamed to tell me and we're going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. And I got to tell you, I, I was pretty impressed. Um, they're still married and um, they worked it out. And I don't know that I would have been as gracious in my younger years. I, I might have just been like, what? Um, and so I, I love the fact that you're having these conversations because a lot of people think of money conversations as money conflicts or money arguments. And I want to keep reiterating to people that money conversations can be just that. They might be uncomfortable um, and you can set up parameters and it's important to have these conversations, to be transparent and work as a team instead of working against each other because I think that leads to a much more successful marriage when you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And like like you said, I think you said that really well. Um, having those consistent conversations about money so that you both know what each other's thinking um, because you don't want to assume that you know this purchase is going to be okay with your spouse or significant other. Like it's just good to talk about those things and make a plan for it um, before the expense comes up, or not not be ashamed of the like choices you made in the past. Because like you can make decisions now that can start like rectifying that, or like and just too like you can grow so much together like with your spouse or significant other by having these conversations and then. Be, being able to like your client did like, let's do this together. Like we're in this together. We might as well do as much as we can together. And I think that just creates a lot of growth, a lot of trust. Um, even though it might've been broken trust to begin with, um, but even a lot of intimacy in your relationship when you have these conversations and are willing to be vulnerable and open about it. Okay. So Jamie, is there a dollar amount that you're allowed to spend without checking in with your wife? Yeah. yeah, we give ourselves a monthly $50 allowance um, and we get that and we can spend it however we want, guilt-free. And honestly, that was one of the best things we ever did with our budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we were driving home from someplace and like my wife was like almost in tears because we she felt so restricted in our budget because we're both teachers, not making much, a ridiculous amount of debt and trying to do the best we can to pay it off. And she's like, I feel like I can't even like go get a coffee with my friends. Like I don't have permission to spend on anything unless it's already etched into our budget. And it was, it was a big struggle to kind of get around and over that. And so we'd heard from, you know, somebody else in the personal finance sphere of like this personal allowance and that it's guilt free money. Yeah. And I think we just started with $25 each because that's what we felt like we could afford. Right. Um, and it was reasonable and it gave just that element of freedom to do that. And so it was, it was amazing. And we've gotten back and forth with how much money it is, depending yeah. on what our current financial goals are. Yeah. But I think that's one of the most freeing things we've ever done with our budget. Now, when you did that, uh, did you set up separate accounts for that? Do you just pull it aside or you just know you're allowed to take it out? How, do, how does that work? Yeah. Um, so we've got everything joint finances and we did that um, – Right when we got married, we tried to do it before we got married, actually, but just the banks were, I don't know, a struggle. Like We just found obstacles. Um, And then after we got married, we just combined everything. And so the way we do that is we either um, just take the money out in cash. And so we just have that $50 and we can carry it around with us. 
Um, or we just know that we have $50 and we actually nowadays do a lot of our spending on credit cards mm-hmm. and then just pay it every month because yep. we've built up like the, you know, self-discipline and like budgeting muscles to right. really do that. Yeah. And so we know we each have $50 and we check in with each other when we make those expenses and, um, or those purchases and it works out really well for us. Yeah. I think that's a, whether you're married, whether you live alone, whether you have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, I, I think having a guilt-free amount of money set aside, I actually have a credit union account that I funnel money into and you know, it, it, you know, it used to just be a couple hundred bucks and I, most of the time I don't spend it because I actually want to see how big I can get the account. But then when I do go out and spend a thousand bucks or something – from my guilt-free money, I don't feel guilty at all because mm-hmm. all those months of letting it build up, you know, it only takes me five months to get to a thousand. So uh, I found that the more I saw it grow, the more I did not want to spend it. Um, but I knew that I it, it didn't impact everything else stayed in the butt in my checking account for my budget, and then that money was just. I didn't have to justify it. I didn't have to mm-hmm. – it's my money. And I think that's a really important thing that even when we're budgeting and when we're living on a limited amount of money, to give ourselves a little bit of reward or a little bit of freedom or a little bit of indulgence helps keep it healthier than why do I have to – like most people when they hear the word budget, yeah. my experience is – Shut up, Bob. <laughs> they, don't, yeah. they don't want to talk about a budget. It's restrictive. It's evil. It's limiting. And what is a budget to you? What When you hear budget, what do you think? Um, I actually have this written down, so I'm so glad you asked that. Um, <laughs> I, when I think of budgeting, I view it as like a list of your priorities and your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you absolutely have bills that you have to pay, and you might have debts that you have to pay. But I think a budget should also be fun. Um, because if you're having fun doing it, you're more likely to keep doing it. And so adding things in like a personal allowance is amazing. And it's a way that budgeting is going to be fun for you. Yeah. Um, So you can save up for it. Um, but it's also a list of like what your goals are. And so our goal is to travel more. Our goal is to do some projects around our house and put my wife through grad school. We need to put that into our budget. That's not a, I hope there's money at the end of the month so we can put it towards these goals. It's, Hey, we just got paid this month. We need to make sure that this money goes into our savings account to save for these different goals. So to me, a, a budget is a list of your goals and priorities, and it gives you permission to spend on the things that you really care about in addition to the things that you absolutely have to spend money on, like your bills and um, those priorities. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree. It's so important. My line item used to be milkshakes because I love uh, ice cream and milkshakes. So I actually put – and it's not a lot of money, but I, I – Used to eat a lot. I used to drink a lot of milkshakes, but at least it lets me have my fun of. I'm making sure I block out my my chocolate and vanilla ice cream for my milkshakes. Um, I I think it's important that you budget in savings. It's an expense, right? Some people put it in the savings and then just use it to cover overdraft. That's not savings. Like if you're going to give to charity, if you're going to tithe, all those things need to be part of. That's an expense. It's not. It's not a choice. It's a for me. It's an absolute. I need to put those things aside, um, and it's and maybe this wasn't true for you. I know when I first had to clean up my financial bad habits, it felt hard. It felt I don't know if I can do this. 
you know, for me, what I did was I created several online bank accounts and just started saving five bucks in each one. And I'd have it come out on Thursday and then Tuesday, like who misses five bucks and then 10 bucks. And then, and then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I have a lot of money in all these different accounts because I made them small, palatable, automatic debits out of my account. And, and then I just, then, oh, I can actually save and, oh, I, I can live within my means. And so it is a, I think, um, it's a habit, and you talked about this. You have to cultivate some habits, and 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 so I think it's so important to give yourself that guilt-free money and to put away for the savings and to put away for travel instead of just hoping. Oh wow! I hope we can go to. I hope we can go to Europe one day. No, we're going, and here's the budget, and we've set aside for it. Um, now, I want to ask you one thing because I know that um, – and this is completely changing the subject, but I want to go back to the fact that you teach. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there's probably a lot of people who would pay you a lot of money right now to take their kids back. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things that I was thinking about – and I know we briefly talked about this. Um, so a lot of the kids are, are being taught online or not being taught online because not everybody has access to computers. And – and I, I'm, I'm wondering your take on it. It seems to me that if I'm a kid that doesn't have access to a computer and I know my friends have the computers, this might bring up shame for me. This might bring up, wow, I'm one of the have-nots. And it almost feels like that stigma attached to I'm on the free lunch program um, or I'm the kid that can't wear the new designer clothes. I'm wearing hand-me-downs from um, – my siblings or my parents have to shop at the Goodwill, and and as a kid, we put value judgments on that because we don't understand what what's going on for our parents. We just know the experience we're having with other kids. How has how do you see this online teaching and the disparity? And I just curious about your take on all that. Um, I think it's really hard because I think you brought up a really some really valid points there. Um, we've got students that are all over the scope as far as the economic um, opportunities um, in their lives based off, you know, their parents and like their family history. And um, I, there's, we did some, you know, online learning in the spring here and I had some students that had no access to technology. They had a phone, um, but, you know, maybe only had so many minutes on it and, or, you know, so much data. And the only way we could deliver instruction to them was by delivering a paper packet of you know, of readings and assignments. But then as a teacher, like one of the things I love about teaching is like coming alongside kids and helping them, like meeting them where they're at and helping them like learn for themselves and teach them how to learn for themselves. But if a kid is at their house without an instructor, there, no way for me to really communicate with them. It's like me saying, Hey, good luck on this. I hope you do great. Please turn it in. Like, that's the best I could do. Like that was defeating as a teacher. And I couldn't imagine being in the situation of a student sitting there thinking like, in addition to any possible money shame that they might have of like, I know that my friends have more opportunities. My friends have more of this, and this is where I'm at. Like just feeling like alone on an Island by themselves with no opportunity to advance. And Maybe some parents or kids and families are already feeling that economically, and now that's being shown to them like intellectually and academically. Um, yeah. Like you just start pounding trauma on these kids, and it's it's really hard. Um, so it's just hard to be like a part of a system that you see isn't working for the students that really need it the most. 
Yeah, and I, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just realizing or I'm being reminded of how important teachers are in terms of being allies and advocates. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that as adults mm-hmm. of the people. I mean, I, I can think of all the coaches and teachers that had my back or believed that I could be something more than I thought I could be. And and that that encouragement like I like to think of them as like all these little angels that were you know sort of guiding me along and I and I think um people forget or don't remember the value of of having there are so many teachers out there that are allies and advocates and 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 helping lay foundation for like a lifetime of 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 things to come and so I you know, I, I so appreciate that you made that choice to not become a professional basketball player and <laughs> uh, and to go into teaching um, because I think the rewards maybe monetarily aren't as good as they would have been as the NBA basketball player of the year. Uh, but but I think there's a lot a much bigger picture and a much bigger payoff um, that comes from that. So uh, yeah, I just uh, much appreciation to uh, to the to the role that you that you uh, that you fulfill um one of the things and i know we're getting out of time and i could probably talk to you about, about 10 more hours because I'm, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this um yeah this is great um you know what i'm really hearing though in your choices it's been about intentionality and really being conscious whether it's conscious about the situations that your students are in and then and then trying to f- meet them where they're at um the intentionality around uh Working to be debt free and and working towards actually traveling or paying for grad school and instead of just hoping you know passively that everything works out that you're actively um, seeking to do things you're not doing it to be restrictive you're you're giving yourself your guilt free money you're having conversations you're modifying the budget when it feels right um, mm-hmm. and you're continually engaged in this process of, of where do I want to be financially and where do I want to be like in life is what I'm hearing. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing that. I love that you've got this blog out there. I hope that you'll encourage lots of young kids to start having conversations about money and, and learning to, um, change maybe their current, you know, to have a different life than they, some of these kids might be having, but for the future to be actually, yes, I can do that and I can get ahead. And I, and, um, so where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm, I'm pretty much all of them. I think, um, I'll point people to a few, um, but I'm at Mr. Jamie Griffin. Um, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have a Facebook page. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which is always fun when my students find out I have a YouTube channel. Um, (laughs) And then, then they start like comparing subscriber rates and everything. So that's always entertaining. Um, but yeah, and then my website is mrjamiegriffin.com. And then the last pl- uh, place I want to kind of plug then is I do have a free private Facebook group called the, the Get Debt Free Community. Um, and it's a growing group of people that, you know, realize that the way they're doing money right now isn't necessarily working for what they want to do. And they're looking for tips and working together to figure out how can we budget together and save money and we're all in this together. How can we help each other? So it's a really cool community that's growing over there. And so 
yeah, those are the places you can find me. Great. Well, I encourage everybody to do that. I, I think it's so important to keep having these conversations so that people don't have to feel alone in their financial struggles and knowing that there are other people out there that have some have been through it before or might have a new idea to do something differently. So I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Um, and I want to mention uh, a shout out to FinCon because we connected through FinCon and I love that FinCon is this organization that hooks folks up with other folks that want to have these conversations around money, um, whether it's blogging or podcasts or whatever kind mm-hmm. of medium, that there's this place where people are wanting to educate and be educated and share the knowledge so that we can all come out on the other side a little bit uh, maybe less debt-free and a little bit more intentional. Yeah. So um, uh, big shout-out to FinCon. Um, and then I actually – I got to say, don't forget to share the love. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. And Jamie, it has been awesome having you here. I, I so appreciate you taking the time, and I, I wish you much success in, in all that you do, and uh, just keep bringing it. Yeah, thanks, Bob. It's been great being on the show. Thanks for having me, um, and I've loved our conversation today. 